So we're going to be in 1 Samuel 16, 1 through 13. And let's pray. Almighty and ever-loving Father, visit us now in the preaching and hearing of your word to convict and comfort us as we explore our need to confess to you our propensity to be superficial. Help us to look at the heart of people and not be swayed by outward appearances. This we ask through your Son, Jesus, our Savior, who reigns with you in the Holy Spirit now and forever. Amen. Well, uh, it has been said that, say, a young couple were to go look at a house to buy, and they are impressed enough that they ask for a second viewing with the realtor so that the parents can come and see. It is said, then, that that second viewing is often known as the deal killer. Because when the parents come, they have uh, the experience, age, wisdom to see things that the young couple did not see. Well, the young couple would be um, swayed by the superficial. Things are shiny. The parents, who have been through some stuff, can recognize what problems may exist under the shiny surfaces. So I think this is, that's, this is one of my stories of what I think of when I'm thinking, okay, we think of the superficial. Our God in heaven sees beyond the shiny and can see beneath the surface. So he looks at the heart, which is what we're going to look at today. We are in our fourth week of Lent in our Lenten series, We Confess. So week one, we confess that we want what we do not need or we crave what we do not need. Week two, we desire to be comfortable. Week three, which was last week, that our memory is short. And this week, we confess that we are superficial. Uh, Elizabeth, our oldest daughter, is a teacher at a Christian, classical Christian school in, uh, in the hood in D.C. And she said that in one of their hallways, they have had a mirror. Sometimes it's there, sometimes it's not because it falls down. They really didn't remove it. I thought after still the story, she probably would have removed it. But by this uh, mirror being in the uh, middle school section, there are kids that are late to school, late to class, because as they're changing class, they get to see themselves in the mirror. And so they stop and primp and check themselves out and put on their lip gloss and that kind of stuff. And then in so doing, they're late to getting, in the, getting into class. I think we really are wired to be superficial. And w our culture just continues to um, support the superficiality. Those things of depth typically um, are not promoted. So today, because of our fallen nature and being conditioned by our fallen world, we are prone to be superficial. Therefore, we need to be rescued and renewed so we can be aware and make a conscious choice to be on guard to look beyond the surface as with the eyes of Jesus. So this is what we're going to look at today. So the first thing I want us to see is that uh, we need to choose obedience over fear. Look with me beginning in verse 1. So as the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Pull your horn with oil and go, and I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite. 
For I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If, if Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. So in order to understand this hesitation from Samuel, and for many of you, I'm sure this story is familiar, but we really need to go back into chapter 15 in order to get the picture of why Samuel's even anxious here. Um, and, and I want us to buy into this fear that Samuel has. And it's um, this passage, as we go back to 15, this is the passage that is read to begin the Feast of Purim that we uh, practiced or partially practiced at the, as we, I think it was three weeks ago or four weeks ago, right before we started Lent, uh, as we finished Esther, we uh, cheered and jeered as the, as the names were read, as we read through the uh, abridged version of the book of Esther. Well, in a normal um, Feast of Purim, that in order, to, in order to get set up for our hatred for Haman, this passage of, of 1 Samuel 15 would be read. Because this is where um, Saul, King Saul, was charged to go take out the Amalekites. This is the Lord seeking vengeance on those who pursued the Israelites as they came, out of the came through the desert out of Egypt. And so he tells... Saul, go and wipe them out. Don't leave anything alive. Well, Saul, in his wisdom, heard what the Lord, the Lord said to him through Samuel, but then he did what he thought was, thought was right in his own eyes. So he left King Agag, Agag, Agag um, and cattle and sheep. Now, he claimed that he was going to uh, slaughter those in sacrifice to the Lord. But God sent Samuel to go to Saul's camp, where this is immediately after celebrating this victory over the Amalekites. And he wanted Samuel to tell Saul that, I've had enough of you. You are no longer king over Israel. He was going to reject him as king. And then, so Samuel did this, and then as he did this, Samuel himself killed King Agag. Um, then they we each went on their own way. So Saul appeared in, in this transaction, and if you can go back and read this, and it appears that Saul is remorseful. And he says, I have sinned. Because Samuel is spelling this out clearly. And so Saul appears to be convicted, and he says, okay, I have sinned. But Samuel knew that he needed to be skeptical. Samuel has wisdom among him. So Samuel, unlike King Saul, was obedient, even if it meant risking his life in order to complete the Lord's command. I want us to 
pause with that in the sense that when has your faith and your obedience to the Lord's command and your obedience to keep the law we, we don't earn favor by, with God by keeping the law but because of what Christ has done in us we have a desire to keep the law our, our desires have changed so when you are standing for truth what have you risked has your faith caused you to risk probably not your life but has it caused you to risk say your safety of some sort has it caused you to risk your reputation has it caused you to risk your position has it caused you to risk acceptance Samuel trusted that the Lord would provide for his protection through his plan which he gave to Samuel we too need to choose obedience over our fears then the next thing we need to do is choose to stand with those who fear God more than man so if if we're if we're going to fight against the tide we need a plan and, and so the first thing we're going to do is choose obedience over our fear then the next thing we want to do is choose to stand with those who fear God more than man so verse 4 says Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem the elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said do you come peaceably and he said peaceably I have come to sacrifice to the Lord consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice and he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice so why would these elders have been scared of Samuel coming well apparently they would have heard by now of him killing King Agag or Agog whatever whatever that king's name is they probably heard of that and then they're probably a little anxious about suffering from the wrath of God being delivered through this prophet Samuel now on more political kind of front they're also probably concerned about being between a rift between Samuel and Saul so there is a risk for them to be obedient to his command where he says consecrate yourself and come with us I won't go sacrifice you come with me. well they had to choose and they did they chose to go with him they could have elected to preserve their position um, they could have they could have elected not to go with Samuel because of their position with Saul they didn't want to maybe they would not have it would have been the uh, say politically expedient for them not to go but they did they chose they had, a, they had a choice to make and they made this choice and they joined Samuel they were willing to suffer loss with Saul if that's what it meant in order to be with Samuel the man of God we too are faced with such choices all the time will you choose that path of least resistance will you choose the path of the well-worn ruts in the road if you will in order to preserve your position or preserve your reputation 
Or will you choose to stand with those who fear God more than man? Next thing I want us to see is we need to choose to see what others do not see. And of course, this is the, this is the crux of this lesson. Verse 6, when they came, he looked at Eliab and thought, surely the, anointed, the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Well, Samuel was impressed with Eliab. He sized, he sized up his stature, his looks, perhaps the way he carried himself, perhaps with confidence like a leader might. And Samuel thought, this guy is king-like material. And so likely, Eliab's going to be the oldest one of the sons. But the Lord rebuked Samuel and said, nope, not the one. And then 7b, which is our memory verse also for this week. Um, if you want to memorize those yourself or help your children memorize, 7b says, For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And it's, there's a reality here where we really can't know one's heart. So uh, that makes it a challenge for us. But we are to look beneath the surface, and we, do, we are to be informed and make informed opinions as we're interacting with the world around us. It used to be very common uh, to ask people for directions. This is kind of a foreign thing at this point um, because everybody has their own phone, everybody has GPS, you figure out how you're going to get to where you're going and you just go. But it used to be if you were traveling and you might have maps, yes, but you might get to a, a, a different city and you wanted to know more specifically where this place was that you were going to, and you would ask directions. This is very common. Um, or out in the country, going visiting somebody you've not seen before, and you needed some final instructions. You got like in the general area, but you need to nail that down. Where do I go? You would stop and ask people. Well, imagine then, if you will, if that's not too much of a stretch, you're, you're with me. You're, we're in the car. We roll up to a, a uh, stop sign, and there are a bunch of kids playing out, out on the corner. We're going to ask these kids for directions to where we're going. Which kid are you going to direct your question to? Which kid in this group do you think is going to give us the right answer? Well, it's going to be the tallest one, right? I mean, we all know we're going to, we're going to just, like, we're rolling the dice, but we're going to go with the tallest one because perhaps he's the oldest. Perhaps he knows more. Perhaps he knows where he's going. Perhaps we can believe him. Which is kind of the way we roll. Now, that tallest kid may be the slowest one of the bunch. Could be that he just showed up yesterday and he's new into town just like we are. It could be that he's directionally challenged. We don't know any of these answers, but as we roll up, we're going to pose our question to the tallest one. It's just kind of how we operate. Doesn't, doesn't matter what, his, what the truth is, but we, on the superficial side, we're going to pose that question to the tallest kid. Well, Samuel did the same. The Lord said, don't be fooled by his height. I know what's in the heart. And then Jesse had the rest of the sons pass by, and none of them were chosen. And we don't know why. We just know that they weren't. 
apparently, it didn't occur to Jesse that David would be worthy of being anointed as king. Uh, David being the youngest of this, then, you know, he's the eighth kid. Uh, you know, perhaps he's just forgotten. Uh, I'm, the th I'm the third in our, in our family, and we have three kids, and sometimes the third one can be forgotten. Now, by the time I got to eight, I don't know. I don't know if I'd make them all in the car or not. And I, I just, I always found this passage rather, I don't know, interesting, strange, weird, kind of funny, because you're like, Samuel has to ask, are these all the sons? It did not occur to Jesse, and Jesse has to know what's going on about that consecrating before they came, and they're going to go, and they're going to sacrifice, and he has all these sons now, and they're all praying through. He's got to know what we're doing here. And yet, David is out in the field. Now, is, there's, there's a piece of this from farmer side, and I'm really not a farmer, but we had, we had a farm, and I used to go to it from time to time. But on the farmer side, like, could, is this so important? Is, it, is this something? I got a man here in the house, a prophet from God, who's going to select a king to replace Saul from my sons. But my youngest is out here tending the sheep, and it's so important that he tend the sheep. And if it's so important, why is the youngest kid doing the tending? But it's so important I don't bring him in. I don't think of that on my own. Now, I just find that weird. I don't, and I don't know if it's because that was the priority. We're probably more like this little David, the young guy, the young kid. There's, there is no way he's going to be the one who needs to be chosen. Got all these fine young sons here, uh, strapping young men who would be fine material to be a king, and I. So therefore, we're not we're not sending the the help out to relieve David so he can come in because we know that it's not him. Now, as strange as I think that is, how often do we do the same thing? How often do you make judgment calls based on what you know, what you can see on superficial material, superficial information? We, I believe we do this all the time. I don't think, I, again, I'm not unique. We all have presuppositions or ideas in our head that form and shape our glasses, if you will, through which we see the world through whatever color it's going to be. We just do. Has to do with where we are, where we were raised, how we were raised, what we've been exposed to, what we've read, what we've listened to, all those outside things. But, but they are real. Now, one of the other things that we also hear is that we are, we, we hear this frequently as in, in the church or as Christians, that we are to not, we are not to judge. Well, that's just something that's just weird too because people don't really understand what that means. We are not to condemn. So because we can't see the heart, we can't condemn somebody, but we are called to judge. We're called to judge all the time. And that's things, places, people. Yes, yes, we are to judge people. Judge meaning discern. You know, if, if, you, if you're not to judge, then you'll go in the worst part of town and 
not be prepared, not lock your doors, and just go around like Gomer Pyle, and, and, and expect people that are going to be nice to you when they're really actually going to be taking you. No, you're supposed to use discernment. You're supposed to judge. Well, as we do, we are supposed to now be equipped with the ability to, to discern more thoroughly. We are a people who have been redeemed by Christ, not because of anything that we've done, but because of who he is. Therefore, we are able to see others as God would see them. We can see others with the potential to be useful for the kingdom. And the more we preach the gospel to ourselves, the more we will be able to do that. The more we're under the preaching of the gospel, the more we're receiving the sacraments, the more we're reminded that, okay, this week, you know, I'm feeling really good about myself. I've done all of my daily readings. I'm, my prayers and confessions are up to date. And therefore, God's lucky to have me on his team. Then I hear the gospel again. And it's but for the grace of God. There go I. Therefore, I can have compassion and see with the eyes of Jesus somebody who hasn't checked all those boxes. And too frequently, we, we're, we're, we're law-keeping people. It's in us. It's what we want to do. So therefore, we look down our nose a lot of times when somebody else is not keeping the law the way we think they should. And the reality is that we all have broken the law, and we're all guilty. If you've broken part of it, you're guilty of it all. So it's only by the grace of God, through what Jesus has done, that brings us into the kingdom. And as we're reminded of that, then we can extend this kind of grace to others who don't really look just like us. So we don't get caught up in the clothes that one wears or the way they comb their hair or if they have hair or the color of their skin or their height or their weight, where they live. And these are the common things that do divide us. And then I think in our current news 24-7 kind of news cycles that we're in, I think that there's a great deal of effort put forth to keep us separated and after each other as opposed to bringing us together. And, it, and it's the division of these kinds of things. They're, they're all the superficial. But these are not to stand in our way because we're able to see past those and see beneath the surface. We want to be able to see what others do not see. Lastly, we need to choose to allow God to work the extraordinary through the ordinary. Verse 11 says, Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all, these, are, are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send, send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. It says he was ruddy. This, the dark-skinned Hebrews found a healthy, reddish tone to the skin to be very attractive. That was something that was beautiful. So in this sense, he's beautiful. But, and, he, and he has beautiful eyes and he's handsome, but there's a rather ordinary way about David. That's why I think 
Jesse didn't call him in. He's way too young. This boy's probably just a teenager. There's no way he could be the one chosen. So it's this unlikely one who is chosen to become the king of Israel. In Deuteronomy 17, uh, the Lord says that one will be appointed as king. At, at some point, when you get in the land and you want to have a king over you, like your neighbors, you will be able to do that. But this king will come from one among your brothers. And I think it is interesting that this, in this scene, this is the initial filament. That it's among the brothers that David is anointed. This is the initial fulfillment of the Deuteronomy 17 passage. And it's through this ordinary, unlikely candidate to become king that God will do extremely big things through him as time goes on. But those things are going to start happening almost immediately as you get into 1 Samuel chapter 17 and David confronts Goliath. He's just an ordinary boy with an ordinary slingshot with some ordinary stones. And yet God works through that and uses his ordinariness to become extraordinary. The other beautiful part of this ordinariness of David, this lowliness of David, this unlikeliness of David, is that David is this pointer to this king that will come. There's been a promise that there will be one from David, through the lineage of David, who will become the king. He will be raised up from among the brothers. This king is a son of a carpenter. He has a lowly estate. Very ordinary means. Jesus did not have a noble birth. He didn't have a family of position or wealth. As a grown man in his ministry, Jesus did not have a place to lay his head. Yet he humbled himself by leaving the glories of heaven, coming to earth to take on our flesh, and then he humbled himself in obedience. This is, this is different than David. This is different than Saul. This is different than Samuel. As, as obedient as Samuel was, Jesus humbled himself and became obedient to the law of God and kept it even to the point of death, even death, on the cross. And with that, God the Father raises him after three days in the grave to give life and overcome death, hell, and the grave. We are the people who have been rescued by this great work, by this great king, by his extraordinary obedience. It is through his extraordinary obedience that he purchased us by his own blood. And because he did that, we are empowered by the Holy Spirit who is restoring us and equipping us to overcome our natural propensity for superficial, to be superficial. This really is another example of our way forward is through surrender. So it's not a buck up and fight. This is receive what the Holy Spirit has to pour into you 
so that you can be seeking him and being fitted with this glasses by God's word so that you're able to see the truths that lie behind the superficial, superficial world around us. The Holy Spirit is at work in you. You do have the ability through this surrender to him that you would then live intentionally to avoid the lure of the world to be pulled in to value somebody by their superficial means. Instead, because you're being renewed, restored, and the Holy Spirit's in you, as you are submitted to the Holy Spirit, to the leading of the Lord, you will be then equipped to look at others and see beyond the surface as with the eyes of Jesus. You will recognize that each person you meet in all of your doings, that person has been made in the image of God. And as you have more Jesus in you, more Holy Spirit in you, more God's word in you, you will be fueled so that you can better appreciate that image of God. No matter how tarnished that might be, that image, you'll recognize those people are made in the image of God and you will have compassion to deal with them. So we confess that we are superficial. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let's pray.